Every facet of the fashion industry, including multi-brand retail, is changing. In this series, we ask those on the front lines to speak candidly about the future of fashion. I'm Hilary Milnes, and this is The Future of Fashion by Vogue Business. The Future of Fashion by Vogue Business is brought to you in association with Klarna, the leading global payments and shopping service that lets shoppers buy now and pay later. Visit Klarna.com to find out how you can increase your average order value, drive traffic, and create a smooth checkout experience by adding a buy now, pay later option to your website. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Future of Fashion by Vogue Business. I'm your host, Hilary Milnes. The pandemic rattled the luxury industry in 2020, but after a challenging year, sites are now set on a rebound and what the new luxury order will look like. Digital adoption has accelerated, and with that comes new customer behaviors from how they shop online to what they decide to spend on. Joining us today to discuss luxury after the pandemic is Lisa Aiken, fashion director at Moda Operandi, and Rafe Petkovich, commercial director at Klarna, our show sponsor. Welcome both. G'day, everyone. Great. Thank you for having us. Of course. So Lisa, Moda um, actually just released its latest runway report, which I can imagine was a bit different this year than most. Uh, Can you tell us a bit of an overview of what stood out to you? What did it tell you about the direction for luxury trends as we're heading into next year and the next fashion season? Certainly. Well, Moda is fairly uniquely positioned to be looking at the season ahead, um, owing to our trunk show model. So Moda Operandi operates trunk show directly from um, designers presenting runway shows or lookbooks, um, presentations, etc. And ultimately, that gives us, you know, the client shops directly in that moment for products that will deliver to them in six months time. And so trunk show has always given us an insight into where consumer demand will live in the future. And I think that's even more poignant right now, knowing that, you know, so much of our collective consciousness is that is kind of looking at what our lives are going to look like. And, and so it kind of gives us an indication of where she, our woman thinks her lifestyle is going to be in six months from now. And, you know, there's been so much conversation in the industry about consumers gravitating towards sweatpants and super casual kind of purchasing. And while there's definitely been a, you know, a shift towards lifestyle product within our business, it's definitely not, uh, it's definitely not the whole story. So what we're seeing is clients really looking for fashion, kind of shopping for fashion purchases that that fit within a lifestyle, but ultimately fashion and comfort are not mutually exclusive, right? They're, they're thinking about what do I want from a comfort side, but I still want to make a statement with what I'm wearing every day. Um, so we've definitely seen kind of a gravitational pull towards that. Also investment pieces, there's been a lot of focus on what is going to live in my wardrobe for a really long time. And that comes through not just in the fashion space, but we operate in fine jewelry and also in home. And then finally, there's definitely been the sense of escapism. So a lot of a lot of our clients have been shopping for their future vacation wardrobes. And I think that's really telling in terms of thinking about where she sees herself in a few months from now. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so you said the, the sweatpants aren't the full story. Tell us, looking back at the immediate reaction to the pandemic and the lockdowns that were taking place all over the world, with Moda's um, position in the luxury industry, the online trunk show model, how were you able to respond? Um, what were the conversations like with designer brands as everyone was trying to to navigate what would come next? 
Well, I mean, as an as an e-commerce based business, obviously the impact on mode operandi has been minimal versus, you know, kind of bricks and mortar based retailers. We do have two components to our business. As I said, we, ha- we have Trunk Show, um, as I just mentioned, alongside traditional e-commerce. And it's really been a balance of managing our in-season position in terms of stock and assortment alongside looking at, like I say, what's coming next. I think we're in this moment where most designers are looking for guidance from retailers alongside what they believe is going to happen next. I think it's, I don't think we've ever experienced this sort of, well, we've never had this collective experience as an industry, right? Where every designer and consumer and buyer and editor are all ultimately facing the same lifestyle shifts and the same lockdowns and the same uncertainty about the future. And that's really informed a lot of how designers have approached collections and also kind of the level of openness and collaboration that has been around how to handle this from every angle within the industry. And I don't think I've ever seen a moment where there's been so much open communication and feedback and sort of working together to to move the industry forward. There was, you know, I think it's fair to say there's a lot to fix in our industry and now has really been a, a very good time to address some of those things. Yeah, can you can you talk more about that? What do you see as having been brought to the table as okay, we have this, you know, very jolting experience that all of fashion is going through at once. What what should be fixed? Yeah, I mean there's so many different facets, you know, for a designer um, or a brand, you know, there was this constant desire for needing more, needing capsules, needing additional drops, a broader collection. And I think now designers are saying, actually, I'm going to produce the things I believe in. I'm going to narrow down my assortment. It's far more efficient from a production standpoint. You know, it really helps me deliver a point of view about my business. And so I think we've definitely seen far more focus and consideration, both in terms of the frequency of collections, um, but also the breadth of collections. There's also been a very big conversation around distribution and who brands should work with in terms of who, who fits them as a really good partner. And I think that can, you know, that can be on many different levels. It can be who shares our values and aligns with how we want to run our, you know, our deliveries, our schedule, our markdown business through to, you know, is that retailer the right place for me if, you know, the client doesn't align with, with me? And I think we reached this point in wholesale distribution where more was like it was just chasing growth there was always everyone was always looking for more but ultimately if you've got a certain client profile and and a designer doesn't necessarily fit with that then is that is that a solid choice for both the designer and the retailer to to be in business together ultimately that just leads to more markdown stock and I don't think anyone wants us to be in that position any longer than kind of we have been in the past. And then finally, you know, the calendar, the calendar's changed or is, you know, there are efforts to change the calendar. I think we're still caught in a loop against, you know, comping a business that existed last year and what promotional activity was happening. And, um, but, you know, a lot of designers have taken as big a steps as they can to manage when their markdown cycle is and ultimately give retailers a longer full price selling window and there are a lot of challenges around that, you know, I mean, from a, you know, from a financial standpoint, everyone is feeling the pressure right now. And so, you know, there is this sort of expectation that markdown must happen on Black Friday or in advance, you know. And so ultimately, 
the client is in this buy now, wear now moment. We pushed back motor operandi, we pushed back markdowns in the summer and we traded our spring summer stock much longer at full price than we had done the previous year. And, you know, we were seeing resort wear selling all the way through until the middle of September. If we're looking at what we're trading really well right now, it's outerwear, boots, knitwear, um, designer handbags. It's basically the woman is, what does my life look like? right now in this second and that's what I'm shopping for and I think the markdown cycle has always gone against that because it's always been so early yeah absolutely and I and it's an interesting holiday season uh for one it's longer it seems but at the same time you know with with promotions that's something that brands have been trying to move away from for for a long time Rafe can you talk about your discussions with brands and what you've found that is is really top of mind from a priority perspective in how they can meet customers right now with so much having changed this year? Absolutely. I I think just to set the context in terms of how we've seen consumer behaviour changing, you know, we've definitely seen the same bifurcation that most most, uh, companies are seeing in terms of the consumer behaviour. If you're in the restaurant, travel, entertainment industry, you're doing it very tough. But there's another segment of the the market out there that motor and other um, luxury and fashion retailers are looking to connect with that have never had it better. They're they're not travelling as much. They're they're not eating out as much. They're saving a lot more money, and and as a result, there's this definite bifurcation in the in the performance of of the market. And so, during the pandemic, you know, no doubt, as we've tried to stay safe and try to protect our families and the like, we've seen a shift towards e-commerce. Um, customers migrating from in-store to online channels, um, and merchants have had to up-level their offering online to be able to meet the demands of, uh, of those customers and enhanced expectations. And so, you know, overall, we think that there's a really interesting um, pattern of behaviour that that coming out of this period, if we needed to sort of forecast what's going to happen is, you know, there's been talk of a roaring 20s style of outcome for those fortunate few that are living at home that are still gainfully employed, but aren't spending a ton of money out there. And so that's that's really how we've seen the the, the consumer shift in terms of their behavior. Uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. And, and to Lisa's your point um, on, you know, how this has become a time for people to look ahead at, you know, potentially planning and, and shopping for their vacations. Um, have you seen, you know, average order value on Moda changing? How are her people, have you found that people are spending differently? What what has that been like? Yeah, well, during our chunk show season, we actually saw a 35% increase in average unit retail price of what was purchased. So she's definitely... I mean, I'm speaking specifically, obviously, to the luxury fashion client at this point. And, you know, I think our client base is representative of that segment of, of the consumer base. So, um, yeah, she's she definitely hasn't become overly price sensitive if she, you know, has fallen in love with something that she's wanting to add to her wardrobe. Similarly, we've seen, um, you know, uh, average prices, kind of average shopping prices rise in certain segments or designer handbag business, for example, um, that's increased versus last year quite significantly. And, you know, some of that is just down to shifts in trends. You know, there were, you know, only a year ago or kind of a little bit longer, we had a, the fashion industry had a very strong contemporary handbag business that's very much shifted back towards designer. Now, as I mentioned, you know, 
people are looking at investment purchasing for the future. But similarly, we've got other categories which are downtrending and they may not necessarily be that much of a surprise. So evening wear is the perfect example for us. You know, our evening wear business has been challenged, as I'm sure um, every other retailer has experienced. And that represented a pretty significant component of our business um, historically. It hasn't gone away. Uh, you know, the evening wear shopper is still there. She's just not purchasing those kind of r- almost couture-like pieces that perhaps would have sold very well uh, in the past. And she's trading into more um, entry-level price points. So, it's kind of swings and roundabouts in some ways. You know, there, there's some things that are trading up. There are others where we're seeing a little bit more resistance in terms of pricing. But overall, like I say, to my earlier point, it's really about what does she kind of what does she want right now? And she's willing to invest in those pieces. Our outerwear business has never been stronger. And after many years of doing this, outerwear isn't necessarily the easiest category to get moving. It always feels like, you know, you can have a really strong outerwear season on the runway that doesn't necessarily translate into sales if you have a mild winter, for example. Whereas this season, we're seeing the exact uh, the exact opposite. And obviously, you know, outerwear comes at those really high price points. So like I say, it's very much about what is she looking for in her kind of very immediate future. Right. And, and how do you share this type of information and insight with the designer brands that you work with? Um, is Moda in a, in a position where you can say to your partners, look, this is performing really strongly, this not so much, here's what would be the best assortment? Certainly. I mean, we generally have very open communication with our brands in season anyhow. But I've we've never, as I said earlier, kind of the level of openness and collaboration I don't think has ever existed to the extent that it does now. We're very transparent, obviously, in terms of what performed within our trunk show space. And that can help guide designers' own production runs if they're looking at what they're placing for their own stores or their own e-commerce. We're really very transparent about that. That's why we just recently launched the runway report for this season. Uh, We want to feed all of those insights back into the industry to make it as healthy and strong as possible and drive trade where, you know, where we can both for ourselves and and for the designers that we partner with. So very open in terms of communication and very strategic in terms of feedback. Um, You know, some designers, some brands are more open than others in terms of they've got a vision and they want to stick to it. And I'm, I'm, you know, some of our smaller brands that we, you know, I like I, I advocate for that. I want you to have a really strong point of view, but I'm also willing to talk to you about whether or not your price points are in the same places that in the right place that they should be, or your merchandise assortment isn't quite right for that delivery. You know, and they've always been conversations. I think they're just becoming more and more important to everyone involved. You know, when you speak to a creative director, often it's about the inspiration for a season or what silhouettes they're feeling for. And now we're, you know, sitting having conversations with creative directors where they're like, tell us what what we need for our client. Um, And so there's definitely been a, a distinct shift there. Yeah. And so that brings me to my next question, which is just how has the role of the fashion director changed? It sounds like you're more involved than you might have been in the past. While these conversations have always been happening, they're happening at a at a different height than they than they were before. Has anything else changed about just your day to day? I mean, my day to day is completely different to what it was <laughs> in the past. Um, you know, the the buying experience. You know, I, I obviously run the fashion and buying team at, at Moda, and um, 
the buying experience is a very, a very, very different one. Obviously, we have, you know, we're missing the sort of industry moments of runways and fashion weeks and whatnot. But also, as a buying team, we're buying a physical product. And we're doing that through experiencing something digitally right now. And that brings about a level of you know, a level of hesitation in some places, but also it relies then more on the brand knowing their collection inside out and having a really strong commercial team that are able to guide you into the products that they really believe in, that they've seen on a model that they have been involved in the fittings for. Whereas obviously we're kind of working through digital showrooms um, and photographs and Zoom calls and, and all of those things. So it's definitely been a very different experience. And I will say even just the difference between resort market, which was back in um, kind of June, July, through to um, spring, summer, which was in September and October, brands moved forward leaps and bounds in terms of what they were able to um, present to us. And part of that was just, you know, what resources they had and, you know, what restrictions were in place around them being in a showroom or not. Um, And part of it was just understanding that this is going to be for a little while longer and we really need to adapt quite quickly. Yeah, I'm sure. And, you know, I think that part of adaption, we've heard so much about this um, idea of digital tools and digital strategies accelerating. It's it's a word we've we've heard a lot. Um, and I know Moda has launched a video shopping tool. Can you talk a bit about why video and how customers have responded, how designers have responded, and basically what it took to get that off the ground so quickly? We launched Moda Live back in resort. It's a live stream shopping experience. Uh, it was really born out of the fact that we have an extremely engaged client base. And we were working with them, you know, we were bringing them together with designers through Zoom calls um, and different sort of kind of digital experiences like that. And there was a really overwhelmingly positive response to some of uh, those more kind of lo-fi sort of tools and, and experiences. And ultimately, we you know, we looked around and everyone was talking about what runway would look like, the opportunity to make Fashion Week more democratic and bring the consumer in. And Trunkshow was is the perfect vehicle for that. We're, we're the only retailer that can really take what's happening during Fashion Week and bring it to the client versus them being one step removed and then seeing the product hit the shop floor in six months time. And so we really thought, okay, well, now is our moment to truly build that uh, relationship between uh, the creative director or designer and um, and the end consumer. And so we came about Mode Alive in the sense of let's experiment. Let's bring those two, um, you know, th- those, those two really engaged parties together. We had creative directors that were desperate to speak to the client and we had clients that just wanted to, you know, hear everything they could about the collection and not in a way where, you know, you can watch a live stream of a runway and, you know, you see a product for 15 seconds on a runway and then you're, and then you're done. And, you know, we've all done that as editors and buyers and whatnot, but actually have the designer talk to you about where that piece came from and what's so special about it and how they created it. And the, you know, the women and men in, in their, in their workshops and um, studios that put it, you know, that, that put it together and were involved in the fittings and, and just bring the product to life. And, and, and ultimately that's the thing that myself as a buyer or you as an editor will have when you walk into a showroom and we couldn't take all of our clients into a showroom but we're now not in a showroom we're watching it on a screen so why couldn't we bring our clients 
into that, take them beyond the show and into the showroom and have that industry experience that we all have and enjoy and makes us so, you know, so connected to that product. And and ultimately, it's proved incredibly successful, both in terms of uh, the engagement level, but then also the commercial upside from a sales perspective. Technology uh, we see is augmenting and enhancing what traditional luxury brands have been able to um, deliver to drive growth without compromising that brand value. So, you know, be that acquiring new customers through exclusive activations as as Lisa's uh, team has, has sort of pioneered in um, from their trunk show model, but also generating engagement and, and creating new ways to interact and shop and create a captive um, shopper environment, you know, then ultimately you want to be deepening the relationship. And so historically that happened through traditional methods, you know, you phone call, knowing who that customer was when they walked in, maybe reaching out to them when a new collection or a new offering came came in. But, you know, today's uh, tools certainly allow brands to have a deeper understanding of, of what customers are looking for, what they're certainly lusting after and uh, how we can, we as brands and technology platforms can connect them to to that sort of demand is 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 real, really the the growth loop that we're trying to support uh, with the brand partnerships that we we have in place. Yeah, of course. And Lisa, how has uh, Moda navigated customer acquisition? Um, you know, how are you looking at what the next generation or the younger generation of luxury customers are looking for, and kept that in mind while still servicing the loyal customers that you already have? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting conundrum within retail right now, because while obviously you're always looking at at what's coming next, I do think we're in this moment of consolidation around what we already have. And I think that's where certainly from a merchandise strategy at Moda, my first priority is to take care of, of our clients that have been very loyal to us. And I mean, take care, not just in terms of, you know, the loyalty component to that and the marketing strategy around it and making sure I've got the product that they're looking for. But, you know, I want to make sure that they're first and they're the very forefront when I'm walking into a showroom next season and thinking, what new brands am I going to introduce them to? Rather than, oh, I have a new brand here that might attract this this client group. I'm thinking about retention and I'm thinking about how to grow my share of wallet with the client that we already have. That said, I think what's really important is that we're looking at ultimately, I think retail where it gets broader and broader and broader in terms of assortment. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier around brands finding the right fit in terms of partners. When assortments just get so broad that you're trying to be all things to all people, I don't necessarily know that you attract a new client. If you are known for a certain point of view and working for with a certain segment of brands, and some of those brands may be brand new, but they fit so perfectly into the edit and curation that you already have, that's the point where you attract new clients for being a destination in that space where every time they log on or every time they walk into the store, they find something that they fall in love with. Not, I'm going to scroll endlessly and look for and hope that I might find something that catches my eye. And to me, I think that's the strongest opportunity that any retailer has right now in terms of carving out an, you know, this kind of defendable position within the industry is to have to have a point of difference, to have a point of view. And ultimately for me, you know, I mean, that starts with the merchandise assortment. 
Yeah, and uh, that's a great point. As we're looking ahead to next year's Fashion Month, um, what are you what are you expecting to see? I'm, I'm interested to hear your your thoughts on how designers will show up next year. I think we had the fall fashion weeks, which were, you know, a bit, you know, scattered in terms of the the strategies that brands took on and some returns to the traditional runway format um, with live audiences. How do you um, see this playing out both from the format perspective, um, if we'll see that return to or attempt to return to normalcy as well as the collections that will be on the runway? So I think that the, I think you're right. It was a very fragmented response um, this past fashion week. We saw a very bit, a very distinct difference between, you know, the, the, the key cities and, and that just reflected where we were and at what stage within the pandemic, it, you know, it, geographically everybody was. And, and I, I don't think there was much that could be done to avoid that. I think we had this overarching sense of we could do something new and something different and hopefully reach the client in a more engaged way. As I mentioned, then we went obviously down the route of, of Moda Live. Um, I think that many brands did miss the mark in terms of how to, I don't, I don't think we found the perfect solution to not having a runway show, I guess is my main point. And if we look at, you know, our top performing trunk shows, brands that had runway shows last season drove 40% more revenue than those that didn't. So while we can say, you know, the runway format, we don't know the longevity of it or whether it's still relevant, certainly in terms of the cons- the customer response is there. The customer engagement is there. And that's, you know, like I say, from trunk show and a, a commercial component, the and media value that was lost through not having trunk, uh, through not having runway shows was also significant for the brands that that didn't take part. But like I say, we were in this moment where every brand was doing what they could in the space that they had. So I do think that whether it's, you know, February, March, or whether it's September, October, depending on, you know, every kind of the the wider landscape, I do believe we will see ultimately a return to runway shows or versions of presentations. I think we'll evolve and, and we'll learn there's no playbook right now. And so I think it's all up for grabs. I don't necessarily know that we're going to find the perfect solution that is fully digital. Yeah, uh, it'll be really interesting to see, you know, how designers show up and and rise to the moment. Um, Rafe, what are your predictions for for next year for luxury customers specifically? How how that behavior that we've seen play out this year will stay stay around, and and what might what might change from here. Yeah, I, there was a point that Lisa made beforehand around curation that I just wanted to touch on before I make any bold predictions. And and that was technology can really be a force for helping you understand what are those moments that, that will make that customer's heart skip a beat. And so, you know, we have some uh, data from our own app on select premium and luxury brands and how customers are interacting with those brands. And um, we have a wish list function um, that enables customers to mark that product as something that they really, really want and, and want to be notified if there are any uh, notifications of changes in in stock rates or or uh, price drop notifications and, and the like, but still, you know, give them that aspiration to, to move towards. And so, you know, the top wish listed items in the luxury category mirror the broader consumer demand for athleisure, self-care, personal wellness, um, splurge purchases, those items that, that Lisa had had alluded to. But like the other elements that we we know are going to be core to the fashion staple are the the sneakers that are 
clearly still in high demand. Um, so, you know, be it the Webster's white and black new arrow sneakers or Burberry's Markham check slip on sneakers, Givenchy's urban street logo, strap leather sneakers, Versace has, uh, has uh, some products in that self-care and athleisure space from Sleep Mask to Balenciaga's logo, hoodies and Burberry montage sweatshirts. We're, we're seeing these products and this behavior of customers wishing for those products and wanting to not be notified about what's changing in the status of those products and then working towards being able to accept, uh, save up to having accessibility to those um, products. So we don't, we definitely think that that's a, a trend that's going to be uh, long lasting. And so buy now, pay later as a, a platform for enabling customers to have access to those luxury items is, was already growing in the US. You know, for Klarna, the US is uh, now our largest market, but also still our, our fastest growing market. And so we still think that that will continue to, to, to be an ever-present uh, part of the payment landscape, but also the consumer's uh, method of getting access to the brands that they love and, and these luxury purchases that, that do make their heart skip a beat, as um, Lisa, Lisa had mentioned. And so our, our future you know, it certainly doesn't discount online. I know a lot, uh, a lot of our, sorry, I meant to say um, in-store, a lot of our conversations have been around online and, e- and e-commerce, but certainly as, as vaccines are adopted and as our management and mitigation of the risk associated with the pandemic abates, um, we're, we're incredibly optimistic about you know, the, a return to store and how technology can partner with um, what has been great about those in-store, the, dr- the drama, the moments that, that excite customers in that in environment. And so we're doing some exciting work to prepare for those moments. Um, we have over 15,000 stores live with Klarna in-store solutions. Um, and, and we're looking for, forward to expanding that offering to more and more customers and more and more um, opportunities to connect with consumers. And, and especially for that high high-end and luxury purchase consumer where in-store is such a critical moment for them. We think that that's going to continue and uh, and we're making significant investments to be able to support that appropriately. Yeah, great. And Lisa, going ahead, um, looking at next year, I know you mentioned, you, you know, you see there's obviously a future for some of fashion's um, longstanding traditions like the runway show. What changes um, and fixes to the fashion industry that came up this year do you see um, taking off and lasting um, from next year? I think the biggest shifts I think are going to be looking at, as Rafe said, how do we leverage technology to enhance perhaps whether it's in a, a physical experience or not so if you know ultimately even if we return to runway shows how do we use technology to leverage what's happening in real time for a much broader audience for example um how do we take a small ca- you know a capsule launch and make sure it's amplified the way that that we can you know the, the way that we've learned that we can in this moment um in the future i think ultimately we're going to have much more considered shopping across the board from from the client. I think, like I say, I think it's going to be very much about emotional purchases rather than for the sake of shopping. And I think we've, I think we're definitely seeing we're seeing that that trend already. And I think that that will continue. I think the shift towards investment purchasing will continue. I think that there's a lot of good things that have started right now that will ultimately come to fruition 
next year. Um, Rafe mentioned earlier about, you know, this roaring 20s idea. I certainly hope that's the case in in many ways, uh, kind of that sense of joy and excitement um, coming back. So hopefully designers can can use that moment and make the most of it in the same way that retailers can. But hopefully, I think the biggest thing that's happened right now is that the industry hasn't shifted quite as dramatically as perhaps we thought it would. But in certain areas, it's hit reset. And I think that's been a really important moment for us. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree. And yeah, hoping to see this a bit of a return next year. Um, well, we're just about out of time. So I wanted to thank you both very much for joining me today. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you everybody. very much. Have a wonderful day. As ever, we'll be back next week with leaders from fashion reflecting on an industry in flux. You can subscribe to the series on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Vogue Business website. For more coverage on the future of fashion, subscribe to the Vogue Business newsletter at voguebusiness.com. Our executive producer was Alad John. My name is Hilary Milnes. That was the future of fashion. Thank you for listening. The future of fashion by Vogue Business is brought to you in association with Klarna, the leading global payments and shopping service that lets shoppers buy now and pay later. Visit Klarna.com to find out how you can increase your average order value, drive traffic, and create a smooth checkout experience by adding a buy now, pay later option to your website.